I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm your co-host, Dean Detloff. And I'm your other co-host, Matt Bernico. And uh, listen, all I can do is think about Cuba anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go to Cuba in just a few weeks and i'm taking everybody else with me it's the only thing i can talk about i've become completely insufferable uh a mystery to myself and others an alien on a different planet uh every book i read is about cuba all the music i listen to is from cuba all the movies i watch are about cuba and uh, that means this podcast is also about cuba whether you want it to be or not um it's advent and maybe you'd think we would do a podcast about Advent. Last year we did it, uh, some great episodes on hope, peace, joy, and love. But this year we're talking about Cuba and Advent along the theme of all I want for Christmas is for Cuba to be free. Really Cuba-pilled over here. <laughs> really Cuba-pilled over here. That's right. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to zero in on U.S. attitudes toward Cuba. We're going to talk about weird propaganda, why people of faith should be invested in creating solidarity with Cuba. And uh, I think it's going to be fun. Uh, I, I feel great about it. <laughs> I feel really good about it. And like I said, my, my promise is everyone else is going to feel good about it as well. Um, <laughs> to kick things off, we are going to talk about the propaganda campaign from the U.S. government that works to pit people of faith against the socialist revolution in Cuba and also to discredit progressive religious people on the island. It is part of a very long history of the United States doing all kinds of spooky, nasty, naughty stuff with respect to Cuba. And uh, we've talked about it a little bit in the past, so we'll cover some ground, I guess, that we've covered already. But this time we have a new resource, the first ever Magnificast zine called Christian Solidarity with Cuba. Matt, tell us about this great <laughs> new resource uh, really uh, offline, non-audible resource from the Magnificast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, okay. Um, if you've listened to our podcast before or if you're just a person that exists in the world, you might know that the United States government is not a fan of Cuba. <laughs> or it would be more of a fan of Cuba if they could just squash this dang revolutionary movement that they've got going there. Um, so you hear all over the place, Cuba is bad. It's, a, it's, a, it's on the state-sponsored terrorist list, uh, which is bonkers. Um, but what if there was a different story to religious people in Cuba that you didn't know about? Because, um, yeah, well, the United States doesn't want you to know. 
And uh, you can learn that whole story in our great Magnificast zine. Um, it's 52 pages of great content about uh, Christians uh, interacting with the socialist revolution in Cuba, both historically and contemporaneously. And it's a great thing. Um, it's it's too bad that Thanksgiving is over because this, this is something you could slap down on that on that Thanksgiving table with your uh, weird Uncle Ernie, and you could just really lay into him with this content. Um, so, anyways, it's a great it's a great thing that Dean is mostly responsible for, and I've only I'm only marginally responsible for it. <laughs> but I'll take a little bit of credit here. Um, anyways, if you if you want this content, and we know that you do, you can go to bit.ly slash cubazine and you can get it and that's cubazine all lowercase no capitals uh no capitals no masters that's what we say in this podcast um it's a cool resource and <laughs> anti-capitalism yeah, exactly anti-capitalization um it's a cool resource i think uh it's one of a kind it's the only thing like it to ever exist probably and uh you need to get it you need to read it or don't. I mean, I can't make you do it. <laughs> I, I was a teacher for a long time, and I could never make anyone read anything, and I definitely can't make you read it, dear listener. But what I'm here to tell you is that it is a, it's a cool thing. So bit.ly slash cubazine. Um, some podcasts, they would be like, and, uh, give us your email. Give us your phone number. Give us your data. But we don't care. Just go to the link, and it'll be fine. <laughs> That's all we're asking for. Give us your solidarity. Um, you did miss the chance to introduce Uncle Ernie to this pamphlet over Thanksgiving, but uh, it is designed to be printable, so you can go ahead and print it out oh, and copy, uh, yeah. do it at your yeah your local library. It's a great stocking stuffer. Just put it in Uncle Ernie's stocking, and I'm sure you'll have one more person saying Cuba C, Blockeo No by the end of Christmas. That's what you need. Uncle Ernie, just he was missing this one weird podcast zine this whole time. Uh, that's what it was going to take to kind of get him to come around. And uh, now he can. Great. He really needed to know that Dorothy Day was down with Fidel Castro. <laughs> that's right. Oh, oh, uh, a socialist from the Catholic Worker Movement? Oh, incredible. Now I'm one over. Um, <laughs> great. So we'll get to all of that in a bit. We'll talk more about the zine later on. Um, but first. Hashtag but first. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about the weird um, the the weird propaganda program that the United States has been pushing uh, against Cuba for a very long time. Um, and it kind of all resurfaced again recently um, when Baptist News Global, a reputable, a reputable journalist uh, outlet, uh, published an article um, pushing, uh, again, the tired narrative that Cuba is antagonistic toward religion in an article uh, titled Cuban Government Clamps Down More on Religion. A great title. This comes from baptistnews.com, uh, a, a website I've never been to in my entire life before Dean told me about it. <laughs> they they republished a bunch of, like, information from a, a, new, a, a new-ish study from the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. So this is just sort of like a condensed, like, uh, reactionary take on an even more reactionary document. There's so many layers here, folks, I guess what I'm trying to say. So there's the Baptist News website. They're pulling information from USAID, which is already very suspicious, uh, which is also uh, pulling information from the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, which is even more suspicious. So we're going to talk a lot about the um, this like document. Um, it's called Constitutional Reform and Religious Freedom in Cuba. And uh, again, it's by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. Um, and I feel like um, I've already kind of muddled things up by naming three things at once, and that's okay. Anyways, 
Uh, <laughs> let me just give you a quick a quick rundown of what this thing is, and then we'll talk about all the very weird reasons why we should maybe disregard it or be very critical of it at least. So this is a document that's put together that's like, you know, the, the point is to measure the levels of religious freedom people have in Cuba. And that's interesting. The The findings are, as you might guess, negative <laughs> overall. Um, this document <laughs> from the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom wants you to believe that the, uh, the, the situation on religious liberty in Cuba is very bad. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and maybe there's some truth to it and there's some, some caveats we can make to it for sure. But I think what's really important is that this is a, a document, um, that is kind of doing a very suspicious, uh, study of people, of religious people in Cuba. Um, it's really important to kind of put this up here at the front, the front of the conversation before we get into the, any of the juicy bits. The methodology is bad. <laughs> So the structure... It's extremely funny. It's extremely funny. and it, Well, funny is, no, is another way of putting it. It's bad and funny at the same time. Um, so the structure of the this whole this whole thing rests on an e-survey um, that was informed... Okay, so it's an e-survey. They sent it out to religious people in Cuba, which is already kind of like a funny idea. Um, hi, I'm from the United States government, and I would like you to answer some questions about your religious faith. <laughs> Um, is that okay? <laughs> you might you might you might ask some Cubans. Um, a complicated thing to ask somebody, uh, regardless, but even more so in Cuba. Um, okay, so it's an e survey that was sent out to uh, people who are religious in Cuba, um, to like religious leaders and um, lay people, kind of a mix of people. The the methodology section suggests um, the questions that they they asked were um, drummed up uh, based on a focus group between uh, Cuban faith leaders and also the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. So kind of like this like small meeting between um, a United States governmental organizational kind of body and also um, Cuban faith leaders. So you can imagine how that might shape the conversation. Uh, they came up with 106 questions to ask people. And then the e-survey went out to a bunch of people and the results are staggeringly low. So um, 56 people completed the e-survey. Um, that's 56 people in total. So this is a 30-page document about how the, um, the, the religious freedom in Cuba is uh, very bad. But um, it's 56 people only kind of weighing in. And you might imagine, um, you know, the people who are answering the survey are probably not people who are already, you know, very positive about about uh, their sort of religious movements uh, space in Cuba to begin with. So very complicated. Uh, Dean, what am I listening from the methodology section? I feel like there's more, but I I can't remember at the moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is very funny, as we've been saying. It's a very small sample size, a very kind of stacked deck, um, kind of getting the folks that you want, I guess. Also, the the questions, they don't list them all in this report. I was trying to find them because they do say somewhere in a footnote that you can find them on the website. Uh, they're not obvious, I guess. I'll say that. <laughs> but uh, uh, the responses were also pretty simple. They're like yes, no responses. And then there's some more qualitative data as well. Um, the methodology also relies on kind of like particular ways of framing questions around religious freedom. So it has a lot to do with uh, the legal definitions of freedom of religion and belief, um, which are pretty particular. We'll get more into that in a minute, I'm sure. And also, I think probably the most important thing is that the survey is really centered around what they call independent churches or independent Christians. 
And by independent, they mean a church or a faith organization that is explicitly not in any way either registered with the government or related to what's called the Office of Religious Affairs, the ORA. And what that means is <laughs> there's a whole swath of Christians who are not included. Um, so they're giving you a, a lot of ways of kind of paring down the, the sample size here, right? It's a small number of people. It is born out of a, a focus group uh, with some pretty specific actors. And also, lastly, it only is concerned with the experience of people who are kind of already setting themselves up to be in opposition to the Cuban project in one way or another. Yeah, that's right. Um, this this whole uh, study is an interesting um, experiment in, in understanding what 56 specific people think about religion in Cuba. Um, <laughs> and that's it. Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, it is very funny, though, that it's set up with such a small sample size because there will be like there'll be statistics where it'll say like 98 percent of respondents said this. And what you have to recognize <laughs> is that 98 percent of respondents is 54 people or something crazy. You know, it's like um, it's just it's just um, frustratingly. <laughs> it's very frustrating uh, about the way that it's framed because it's uh, clearly skewed for a particular political uh, viewpoint. And it sh- it shows painfully so. Um, the yeah, it also I should say too the the executive summary starts out by saying that the report sets out to improve understanding of Cuba's constitutional and legal protections for freedom of religion or belief, both in law and practice. And I think that is a pretty hilarious goal, yeah. given these kind of qualifications that we've made. Right. So I just sort of want to underline that that the report, you know, it will go out of its way to say, look, these these are these respondents saying this and so on. But it is trying intentionally to draw very, very general points. And just to add on to this, too, this uh, body um, that is responsible for it, the uh, United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, they put out all kinds of like policy documents. In fact, they put out a policy report um, that was right on the heels of this report, where they make all kinds of recommendations to the U.S. government and they extrapolate from their data and research and so on. And I was looking at that document before this episode. And as you could guess, uh, (laughs) they have some pretty strong recommendations involving even more sanctions on Cuba. Uh, That's how you might deal with religious freedom problems in Cuba for USAID these days or for uh, whatever this weird uh, (laughs) commission might be. So all that to say, a really limited sample size, drawing some pretty general conclusions that do actually filter themselves into policy documents that real life actual representatives and presidents and so on read in order to be informed about Cuba. Yep. Uh, read uncritically, I think. Um, so there's a lot in this 30-page <laughs> um, document, um, but the three things that we're going to focus on are the constitutional protections for uh, people of faith or religious belief. Um, we're going to talk about the so-called, especially in this document, the fake people of faith that are around every corner in Cuba. They're just waiting there for you. Um, <laughs> And then we're also going to talk about the atheist ideology uh, present in school systems, uh, which is very funny. Um, and then we're also going to talk a little bit about some other um, kind of related conversation around this uh, with regards to Colin Powell. And then maybe at the very end, uh, we'll probably all too rushed uh, talk more about this zine that we made. So the first part that we're going to talk about here are about the the constitutional protections for uh, religious communities and people of faith and people of conscience in Cuba. Um, okay, 
So there are two documents here that you kind of need to be familiar with. And, um, well, not even that familiar with it. But um, there, there are two documents in specific that the um, that this study kind of looks at. So there's a 1976 constitution, and then there's also a 2019 constitution that was amended um, by the people of Cuba. You might remember that story from our podcast. We've told it several times, I'm sure. Um, this is a, a maybe just kind of a nice summary of like what's happening here um, from this Baptist News uh, article that's kind of extrapolating some of the details. So it says this, adopted in April 2019, Cuba's current constitution provides fewer protections for religious freedom or belief than in previous 1976 document did. The panelist and study co-author Javier Laranado explained that its potential ability to protect religion from arbitrary and unlimited action by the Communist Party has disappeared in the new constitution. Okay, so this is this is uh, this could be concerning if you're a religious person <laughs> in, in Cuba, you want to know about religious freedom there. Um, in the 1976 document, there were certain protections. In the 2019 document, those protections have uh, have vanished. is is kind of like the the picture that they paint here. Um, in the full study, they're a little bit more careful with their language around this, but um, just the same. I mean, that's kind of like the what's at the root of it. I decided I was going to look at this up specifically, and I think that they're overstating the problem. But that's just me. There are exactly two articles about the religious liberty. Uh, of Cubans in both the 1976 constitution and the 2019 constitution. And they are extremely similar, not all that different. The rub here is that the language is like slightly different in the new constitution in 2019, which in theory would limit the Cuban government's ability to protect religious expression. Um, this is, uh, th that's what would happen perhaps. This next quote is from the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. Um, it says that the new constitution did remove the ability for religious institutions to be regulated by law by removing the previous language, and then in quotes, the law regulates the relations of the state with religious institutions. So the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom argues that Cuba's 2019 constitution opens up a door for more state repression of religious communities because they can't be like protected, right? Like they, there's not religious liberty laws protect, giving special protections. Um, but also the Constitution itself, this is even where it becomes more uh, complicated. The United States Commission on International Religious Freedom says that the Constitution itself in Cuba is not a supreme law because the government has continued to legislate more laws after the fact, which to me seems like a very bizarre claim to get like really caught up in like the importance of the Constitution, but then say, well, the Constitution isn't actually valid because it's not a supreme law in the sense that the United States Constitution is a supreme law, which it's not really anyways. I mean, it just seems like a wild argument to make. There's a lot of things happening here. Um, but, like, I don't know. It seems like a weird thing to be mad that the Constitution, um, you know, people continue to make laws after the Constitution has been amended. Like, that's just, that's the way constitutions work. I don't know. I don't know exactly, like, why that's uh, something that's a problem. But um, but that's, that's uh, one part of the problem here, right? There's, like... Um, they've changed a bit of the language, and that uh, has opened up the door for the Cuban government to, like... Um, perhaps in theory, I don't know, um, crack down on certain religious organizations. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know, Dean, what do you think? I've, I've been talking a lot. What, what, uh, what do you have to say about this? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right. The, the distance between the concern here and what's really going on is, uh, I don't know, hard, hard to track, I guess. Um, what I think is so weird about it too, though, in addition to all that stuff, like, yeah, laws keep getting made and, um, all that is true. They also make a claim in the report that the Constitution is really kind of a like a big PR stunt. Yeah. 
that it exists to kind of make its country, make Cuba look more progressive to an international audience, to the UN specifically, they say. And it's really weird because on the one hand, they want to say the constitution, like Cuba is not a constitutional country, that the constitution that exists is, you know, for, yeah, for public relations purposes. And that's so bizarre for two reasons. The first is, first, they they kind of note that the 76 constitution or 79 constitution, whatever it was, um, 76, they say that that one had a stronger protection and it's sort of a, a bad thing that now the protections are weak. But that would be kind of bizarre because apparently the constitution isn't effective in the first place, right? So they're kind of making two arguments here. Yeah. Um, the second is that if it wasn't a constitutional country and if the constitution was just a kind of big, big show, that would be pretty wild because the process by which Cuba amended its constitution was extremely participatory, involved thousands of meetings and consultations, um, and in fact involved Christians being so vocal that uh, reactionary Christians, that is, that eventually the Cuban government walked back an amendment to the Constitution that had to do with redefining the family, which just came back this past summer and succeeded. So, you know, if it was just for show, why would they mobilize the entire country to do this? And why would conservative Christians, as people of faith, feel so committed to coming out and doing something about it? So it's really weird. Uh, the report really asks you, I think, time and again to sort of just take their word for something. Yeah, there's one example I found in the in the document. I kind of had to do some digging. It's kind of in the depths. Um, let me tell you about it. The claim was that, like, you know, the Constitution doesn't matter because the party will just make up whatever laws they, you know, need need or see fit, <laughs> which, again, is completely <laughs> not like the United States. That's not how it happens here. There are no more laws. There's <laughs> only the Constitution. Um, okay. <laughs> Such a silly thing. Anyways, um, so <laughs> specifically, though, in the in the document, though, they cite some legislation, uh, legal norms and laws that repress certain kinds of telecommunications. Like that's what all of their um, all of their examples kind of revolve around, um, which I guess is problematic, but understandable given the history of U.S. interference and other things. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, I'm not the Cuban government, but they're they're it's their laws. <laughs> so anyways, the there's only one though that I found that specifically deals with religious communities. I mean, most of them are like broadly about uh telecommunications and like the abuse of telecommunications uh in Cuba. So I don't know. Um but one of them specifically mentions uh religious people and religious belief in specific. So I thought that I'd pull that one out. So it says this, in February 2022, the government published a draft for a new penal code, which contains a clause stating that whoever abusing the freedom of worship guaranteed by the Constitution puts religious belief in opposition to education or the responsibility to work, the defense of the homeland with weapons, the reverence of its symbols or any other established by the Constitution will be punished with deprivation of liberty for six months to one year or a 3,000 peso fine or both. Religious leaders have raised their concerns about the clause and the implications of the government punishing religious community when at odds with state policy. So, like, that's the one that they're worried about. Um, and uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that seems... I don't know. It just seems like... Uh, it seems like so people being frustrated that a law exists. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry that a, law, that a law exists. They exist like this in the United States, too. Um, the government has, you know, I, I, every time the, the persecution of religious people comes up about other countries, I always get so mad, um, because uh, of like, uh, the stories about like water protectors or the plowshares movement or something just like so frustrated that like, you know, people are, are willing to like, uh, go to these lengths to kind of 
um, mine the depths of, of like laws in, in other countries and uh, ignore them so uh, furiously in the United States. Yeah, no, well, I mean, that's the thing, too. Like, uh, I think it's fair to be kind of nervous in a very general way totally. about, yeah. you know, not not allowing uh, religion to be in contrast to the state. We'll, we'll talk more about that later, because I think that's also a nuanced conversation and one that uh, progressive churches are having in a different kind of way. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like you said, when we talk about water protectors or like the Kings Bay Plowshare 7, like if you read... You know, so this is a group of Catholic, mostly Catholic activists who uh, broke into a nuclear facility and, you know, did some light vandalism and were sent to prison. Um, What's wild about it is if you read all their statements, every one of their statements is like, I did this because I'm a person of faith. Right. And the state, like, understandably, actually uh, incarcerates them, even though I don't like prisons and think that it's bad. Uh, They're being incarcerated in particular because at the end of the day, their religious belief is a a threat to all these things. The defense of the homeland with its weapons, (laughs) you know, the the reverence of its symbols and so on. But the United States doesn't have a law about religion in particular. You know, they get sentenced for for something else. And it's not to excuse that or to say just because the U.S. does it, therefore Cuba should be able to do it or something like that. But I guess it's just to say the way that uh, U.S. people talk about other people's laws is always bizarre and kind of uh, a bit of doublespeak. And also to say, to guess, point out, you know, what Cuba is talking about here is less the matter of religion in particular and more the the kind of issues related to social cohesion and the defense of Cuba as a, you know, pretty lonely socialist outpost in the middle of the ocean not far from the United States. So I think it's important to contextualize that they're not saying that like you can't be religious and as we'll kind of talk about later they're also not saying you can't have a uh, a dissenting opinion within cuba uh but the way in which that is lodged or kind of contextualized makes all the difference yeah right i mean the the rub here is is using your particular like um you know the the legally protected freedom of being a religious person to somehow like harm other people in in a telecommunication sort of sense right it's a it's a it's a different sort of thing what they're talking about yeah and as you said given to the long history of uh cuba having to deal with actual uh attacks via telecommunications and otherwise um it makes sense the united states did reinvent twitter just for cuba which i mean not very long ago. Not very long ago. <laughs> and like, given the situation, could they just reinvent Twitter for the United States? <laughs> <laughs> we need Zunzeo for the U.S. <laughs> That's right. All right. So there's that. There's that piece there. Um, lots of sort of like weird back and forth about the Constitution, about what it means, about how it's uh, it's not enough protection. It's too too much protection. The Constitution's fake. All kinds of stuff. Great. Um, good. Okay, so there's another piece of the thing here, too, that is, I think, extremely frustrating to me, and I am mad about it. <laughs> so again and again in, in this document, the United States uh, Commission on International Religious Freedom, that, that document, they keep kind of bringing up time and time again that there are, like, there are official religious institutions in Cuba, right? So, like, how can you how can you say that there are these, like, how can you say that religion is so persecuted in Cuba when when it, when they exist there? And they came up with an extremely ham-fisted way of getting around this, and I think it's extremely stupid. So basically what they do is they just say they're fake, and that's kind of the extent of it. 
So um, here's an excerpt. The facade of religious communities is presented to Cubans and international audiences as evidence of religious representatives in harmony with the government. That's from the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. Um, and then they go on to say, many faith leaders believe these groups are run by state officials posing as faith leaders. Truly independent umbrella faith <laughs> organizations are actively repressed. So that's the perfect crime. Yeah, that's like one piece there. But then um, elsewhere in this document, it gets even like the language becomes even more pointed. And it's really frustrating. All right. Um, elsewhere, they say state created and controlled proxy organizations supplant faith leadership and discourage interfaith unity. Most faith leaders surveyed, again, most faith leaders is 56 people surveyed, agree that these proxy organizations pretend to be religious to dominate the representative space of real religious organizations. This facade is presented to Cubans and international audiences as evidence of religious representatives in harmony with the government. These organizations include the Cuban Council of Churches, the Yoruba Cultural Association, the Islamic League of Cuba, and Pastors for Peace, uh, of whom we've had an, uh, a person from, uh, a representative from on our show. Uh, many faith leaders believe these groups are run by state officials posing as faith leaders. Truly independent umbrella faith organizations are actively repressed. That's the whole, the whole quote there. Um, this is extremely frustrating because it's just like, oh, sorry, is there, is there a counterexample to any of this? Oh, there is? They're fake. They're just fake Christians. They're, they're fake Christians. They're fake, <laughs> they're fake Muslims. They're fake Yoruba. They're, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, it's just, it's so ham-fisted because, like, they're all fake is what they say, which is just, it, I mean, blatantly not true, right? Like, they can't all be fake. And 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 uh, as an evangelical in my heart, um, <laughs> for better and for worse, how can you know if they're fake Christians is, like, maybe the, the, <laughs> the really terrifying, like, existential part of this. Like, how could you... How could the United States possibly know if you're a fake Christian? And if they know, could you please tell me specifically? Because I need that kind of affirmation, I think. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, the whole thing is so frustrating and so paternalistic in its ability to be able to name the fake and the, tr and the true, right? Based on 56 people in Cuba who are, you know, obviously the deck is stacked. I, just so infuriating just to write off a bunch of people um, as, as being fake people of faith. Just complete bullshit. Yeah, I mean, it's also so funny, like the kind of conspiracy theory here, right? That state officials are posing as faith leaders, that somehow the Communist Party of Cuba has like infiltrated, created these fake churches in order to, you know, get the true believers in the door and cozy with the government. Uh, it's such a cynical way of thinking about, like, average Christian people in Cuba. Uh, for example, like, the Cuban Council of Churches existed before the revolution. And they made a choice that they would not be a counter-revolutionary force during the revolution. And that also took time. There's a lot of history about it. Uh, Jim Hodgson on our show has talked to us a little bit about it in the past. Um, you can read about a guy named Sergio Arce, a really fascinating pastor who was involved in this kind of history. But they had to work to create a theology that they felt was authentic to them and also gave them a kind of uh, way in to the revolution on their own terms. Right. Or the same with Pastors for Peace, which is the fruit of this connection of uh, mostly black and racialized pastors in Harlem and New York making these real connections with other Christians in Cuba, uh, especially Raul Suarez, the guy who, uh, the Baptist pastor in Cuba who founded the MLK Center, which today is still run by uh, by ministers and, and is a massive kind of church space and community organizing space, right? Like 
when you really get into the stories of these kinds of institutions, these organizations, you find out that there's a pretty incredible history of solidarity of Christians really reflecting carefully and intentionally. And to sort of just take the word for like a handful of 56 pastors who are, I guess, crabby at the government um, to say that, oh, they're probably fake. They're government run. They're secret state spies in here trying to, <laughs> I don't know, be posed as Christians. Like, you know, it's a it's a really cruel thing, I think. Like, it dismisses the the kind of work that has been done actively by Christians on that island to, to find their own way in an extremely complicated process. And I think that's too bad. Like, at the very, very least, you know, you would hope that someone at USAID would, like, have the good sense to kind of treat these people as, like, real human beings and not just, I don't know, caricatures, but apparently yeah. not. You know, the other thing I was thinking, too, and, and we'll talk about maybe this a, a bit when we get to Colin Powell, um, that I think this that they're fake Christians is actually a really important, or fake Muslims or fake Yoruba, all of it. They're, they're fake religious people is an important inoculation, though, when you're handing this type of study off to people who are, you know, people who are, like, yeah. legit, like you know, in America, people of faith. Because if they're fake, it's like, you know, it plays into the already existing stereotype that, like, if you are a Christian, what you are is regressive, at, at least, if not ra- right out reactionary. Um, and, and it kind of helps them, I think, make sense of uh, Christianity in a particular frame, you know, the United States frame of um, of Christians being conservative or something and not uh, progressive. So I don't know. It just it, mm-hmm. it does it does some inoculation work to kind of like, you know, to <laughs> I'm sure like all of the uh, the the stupid U.S. Congress people who are reading <laughs> this kind of document are like, oh, great. They're fake. <laughs> I, I almost had to worry about them for a minute. Because uh, I might go to the same church as them mm-hmm. in some sense, but nope, they're fake, so it's okay. I can just kind of like write them off. Yeah, it's also so weird because these institutions have partners and connections with other Christian institutions outside of right. Cuba. For example, like I mentioned, you know, Jim Hodgson is friends with all these folks. Um, the World Council of Churches, uh, the big global body, is close to the Cuban Council of Churches, which is a member of the WCC. Um, I can't imagine that the United States is saying that, you know, the World Council of Churches members in the U.S. are fake Christians, which would be pretty much most of the mainline Christian denominations, <laughs> the yeah. the kinds of denominations from which presidents usually come and so on. You know, like uh, it's strange because it discounts even the, the work of Christians in the U.S. or Canada or elsewhere to uh, get to know these kinds of folks. So. It's an insult to Cubans. It's also completely dismissing actual Christians that the authors of this report probably are not even aware that they're dismissing, I guess, in the end. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not all too it's not altogether dissimilar either from like the ways that the like the institutional church in like China gets written off either. Right. Like the house churches or the, the yeah. underground church is the real deal, uh, whereas the uh, state sponsored um, churches are. You know, they're fake. They're just there for show or, or whatever, even though they are more like theologically orthodox, probably than the uh, the underground church or whatever. Um, but yeah, just uh, I yeah. Mean, like a, a similar vibe. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, uh, let's go to the last piece of this report and then talk about Colin Powell, which is the concern about atheist ideology. There is a big thing in this report about atheism in Cuban schools. And uh, I don't know, probably there is an atheist school curriculum in Cuban schools. Um, I think uh, Margaret Randall told us a little bit about that, even when we had her on the show. She talked about raising kids in Cuba and what that was like for her. And, you know, like I I wouldn't have any doubts that it's a, <laughs> a pretty standard materialist curriculum yeah. down there in Cuba. 
Um, but it is really fascinating the way that they talk about it. Uh, the the sort of impression you get from the report is that you really can't be um, you can't be a Christian in school, <laughs> just like, just like the, United States. the Republicans are nervous yeah. about. Yeah, exactly. Just like the United States. You got to meet everyone at the poll <laughs> yeah. and uh, pray before school. That's right. You get your bracelet. They all go to the Cuban flagpole and they pray for their country. Um, and, you know, like I'm sure probably being like a Christian growing up in school in some schools is is probably alienating. Like, I have no doubt that's probably rough if you're like a kid who's really passionate about your faith. <laughs> I guess like maybe it's a weird situation. Who knows? I didn't grow up in Cuba. I have absolutely no idea. I'm inventing a, a situation in my mind. Um, but it's strange, too, because uh, you get this kind of. um I guess, unsaid ideal about what education should be, that there should be a strong religious education component in school or something, or that, uh, you know, the Cuba says that it's secular, but in fact, it's atheist in this kind of big way. And you, and you really can't have a religious opinion outside the school curriculum. And I think that is, first of all, bizarre and clearly not true, given that there are whole seminaries in Cuba and people go to them and <laughs> apparently are, uh, you know, they survive their atheist education enough to still want to be pastors. <laughs> um, but it's also bizarre, too, because the, the flip side, again, is always in the United States, the school program that you have, even in public school, at least in my experience, is basically by default Christian, yeah. right? Uh, as far as I know, there's no U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom writing concerning reports about, like, Muslims feeling alienated in Christian public schools in the Midwest, right? Uh, but you could. You, you could write something functionally similar. And I always find that really bizarre, especially when they talk about atheism in Cuba, that uh, it, it is not a profoundly religious country historically. It's unique um, among Latin America in that way. And it's just a, a strange thing to be really worked up about atheist education, I think. Yeah, you know, it is so funny to think about this, though, from the context of the United States. Um, I was telling Dean before we started uh, recording the podcast that one time in high school, um, <laughs> I was taking like a home ec class and um, the teacher was teaching us how to like make like a pie crust or something. And she put salt in it and she said, just like how Christians are the salt and light of the world. And, like, kind of shoehorning this, like, awful, like, uh, Christian talking point into the home net class in a completely, like, cringy way. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just extremely funny to be like, yeah, but can you believe that uh, the United States has this uh, deeply held <laughs> Christian educational system? Oh, it's so awful. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, just, it's just frustrating because, yeah, lots of unstated assumptions, um, lots of weird... Um, <laughs> lots of weird alternate parallels, I guess. I don't know. Very, very complicated. I also remember, too, um, when I was in uh, high school, being, like, really uh, urged by a youth pastor to, like, have sort of, like, a group of Christians pray before school because, like, we couldn't pray during class or mm -hmm. something. Like, that was a really important piece of it. And, like, we would meet and pray before school on, like, Wednesdays in some teacher's room. And it was, like, I don't know. It felt very countercultural, but it also, you know, wasn't <laughs> it wasn't at all um i don't know very weird ways that people uh, conceptualize the connection between religion and education in like secular spaces and uh i gotta tell you this report did not do a great job of doing that <laughs> that's right uh there's also no similar report coming out about like education in quebec or something so i don't know yeah we'll see about that great one. great point um so <laughs> this report it's a uh 
as we said earlier, you know, it's one kind of one more step in the very, very long march of the United States trying to um, disparage the Cuban project and discredit it and so on. And just to be clear, like, I'm sure that there are a lot of Christians who do have a hard time in Cuba, and I wouldn't want to dismiss that. I don't live there, and that is what it is. We'll talk more, though, about some other Christians that we know about in a minute. But uh, it's important to contextualize these kinds of things in that long project of trying to destabilize Cuba. And you might think that, uh, okay, they had the big situation. They had Operation Mongoose. There was the, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, the special period, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the U.S. has been up to some bad stuff, but not recently, of course, you might think. Um, I mean, pretty recently, though, if you think about it. Yeah, I, you, I mean, you would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it has not stopped, um, but it has sort of changed certain um, maybe flavors or something like that. And uh, when it comes to religion, I think that's always an interesting piece in this whole thing. Uh, religion has always been a kind of ideological part of the uh, the war on Cuba, the psychological kind of war against Cuba. Um, you know, stories about, uh, I don't know, the severe repression of religion, all that kind of stuff has been around since the beginning of the revolution. But it came out in a more direct way in 2004 in a really wild um, document written by Colin Powell uh, called the well, it was a report for the Commission for Assistance to a Free Cuba. And it was a uh, commission set up by George W. Bush in 2003. And according to the Cuba Archive at the American University in Washington, where this document is posted, it says the commission has two main goals to aid the Cuban people to end the Castro regime and to plan for ways in which the U.S. government can deliver assistance to the Cuban people during the period of transition to democracy. Now, the particular document here is very long. It's like 400-some pages, but religion plays actually a pretty prominent role. And some liberation theologians have also pointed it out over time. Um, it's a, a kind of, uh, it's a thing, I guess, in, in Latin America. So in it, here's a couple places where uh, Colin Powell pulls out religion. So he's imagining that they've done it. They succeeded. They ended the Castro regime, and uh, democracy is right around the corner. Uh, Colin Powell says religious organizations can play an indispensable role in the transition to a free Cuba. This is not simply because religion and religious institutions have been suppressed under the communists or because external religious bodies have roots in Cuba and seek to help. Rather, the special importance of religious institutions is the transition in the transition is due to the fact that they are one of the few intact non-governmental organizations on the island that have the trust of the people and the means to organize through an existing social network of communications and distribution channels at all levels of society, right? So he's trying to think about, uh, ironically, kind of collective experiences outside the state. Uh, he then says, within most communities, churches and faith-based organizations are a major part of the support system. The Cuban people during a transition likely will want to maintain and strengthen those systems. Faith-based organizations can provide emotional support, a sense of trust and continuity. They can also be used to educate and to communicate information to individuals and communities on the subject areas covered in this chapter. Those subject areas are basically a number of kind of uh, regime change ideas <laughs> in particular that the, the churches would help disseminate uh, new information about what it is to become a capitalist country, in essence. 
so an extremely weird I love thing. when my government's LARPing. I think that's great. Yeah, exactly. This is Colin Powell's wild fantasy of, of uh, ending communism in Cuba. It's so... <laughs> I mean, whatever. I guess, like, um, it is his wild fantasy of ending uh, <laughs> ending the Castro regime in Cuba. Uh, but I guess it, it does make some sense, I guess, that, like, the... Uh, that that's where you'd build support, right? Somewhere outside the state, which I guess is the, is the church. So I don't know, but overall though, I think it just lends more like credence to the idea of how, um, how cynical I think people in the United States are, especially kind of like in terms of like, uh, foreign relations are around, around churches. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty brazen here, right? It's like, it's not really about religion at all. It's just like, that's like the hinge that maybe you can move sort of like a different movement on. I, I don't know. It seems hard to look at that and then look at the <laughs> look at the, the the document that we talked about earlier and not see them as like you know <laughs> the, one carrying out the other um, for sure. I, it just it's all so cynical. It does not treat people as like real religious people of faith. It doesn't treat people as anything more than sort of like one dimensional people on a chessboard of uh, political action or something. Uh, just all very gross and frustrating. Yeah. Well, the U S also has this history of uh, supporting particular kinds of evangelicalism in Latin America. And it's no secret. I mean, they support evangelicals as a counter to liberation theology in particular in that region. And it often puts their foreign policy at odds. Uh, in fact, for instance, um, one of the organizations mentioned in Colin Powell's document is Echo Cuba, an organization run by right. evangelicals, uh, this guy named Teo Babin in particular. And uh, they did not like the Cuban change to the family code and uh, advocated pretty strongly in a homophobic way against it. Um, the irony is that USAID is uh, funding Echo Cuba and they also often regularly complain about uh, LGBT rights around the world. I mean, rightly, they should do that, I guess. So we should all do that. But uh, they're actively funding homophobia in Cuba as a strategy to change the government. Right. So uh, it's important too to recognize like the the kinds of Christians that this sort of report is really concerned about are really the Christians who are the conservative conservative element in Cuban society. Uh, the Christians who are, you know, actually trying to deepen the revolution, to make a change, to advocate for progressive change, um, and to bring that up in the context of the revolution, as opposed to from outside the revolution, those are the fake Christians, right? <laughs> they don't play a role. Uh, the religions that are the religious organizations, I guess, that can help transition to a free Cuba, at the end of the day, the, those ones that the government wants are the ones that it funds or the ones that it polls and surveys to make reports. And, uh, you know, they are generally the ones that I don't really like in the United States either. <laughs> it's a, a sort of weird kind of network of uh, very bizarre Christianity. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, you know, at a certain extent, too, you can see how it's it's not really about religion at all. It's kind of about the, uh, you know, people who will put up barriers or will not put up barriers to, um, you know, what the U S wants in this case, it's, you know, regime change in Cuba or something. So there he is. I don't know. It's a lots of just like cynicism and incredibly annoying stuff. Um, but this is, uh, the kind of document that your Congress people are probably reading. So <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. And we, uh, we ought to set the story straight at least as much as we can. Right. I mean, where's a podcast with only a few thousand listeners and I'm thankful for that. Um, but, uh, I guess it's, it's got to get the word out, I guess, about, uh, the, the counter narratives about different types of Christianity that do exist. 
um, regardless if they uh, pose some kind of problem to uh, the United States uh, interests abroad <laughs> so we um we decided that we would make this zine that tells like uh, another story about christianity in cuba an alternative narrative um uh, you know the the story that the, the government does not want you to know <laughs> uh, that seems that seems like it's too important but it is i think true to a certain extent um so in the zine we've got all kinds of different um uh, different accounts of like people who are people of faith who are you know interested in the revolution one way or another people who are both from you know latin america or from the united states um or people who are in cuba specifically um and i think it's a pretty cool thing i don't know dean you, you're the one i think that put the most work into it so do you want to talk about the zine more explicitly yeah well i think you've got it right uh the goal is to really show that there is a bigger conversation about christianity and cuba and christianity in cuba um, and the basically the, the setup of the zine is that it takes a variety of different characters or figures or movements and just gives you a bit of a, a snapshot of what their interest in Cuba is or what their thoughts on Cuba might be. And the majority of things that are or kind of people that we quote are actually people outside of Cuba taking a trip to see it themselves. And I think they provide good examples of what it means to be a Christian outside of Cuba, reflecting on Cuba, which is the position that we find ourselves in. So that's a voice that comes through strongly through a number of folks. For instance, uh, Dorothy Day is in there, who's interesting because she is not a Marxist-Leninist and has a pretty particular um, way of thinking about politics and her Catholic faith. So it's great to get her kind of impressions on Cuba. Um, you get some liberation theologians in there, Fray Beto, Ernesto Cardinal, Leonardo Boff, and so on. Uh, but there's also uh, a bit of a, um, a constitution from the student Christian movement of Cuba that gives a snapshot of what it's like for a student Christian movement, <laughs> a movement of, of young people to see themselves as part of the socialist transformation in Cuba. So there's some really interesting rhetoric that shows, uh, you know, a different way of thinking about being a Christian in Cuba. There's also a great report in here by Jim Hodgson that he updated for us from something that he wrote almost 10 years ago about the Martin Luther King Memorial Center. So it gives a bit of a, a kind of, I don't know, picture of, of what's going on there, what the background is for that kind of space and, and why it exists. And that's kind of uh, trying to just create a bit of a, a space to say, you know, it's, it's not just um, independent Christians being repressed. There is a, an active and creative element among Christians in Cuba that are trying to think through how to participate in the revolution. And I think the most important thing, I mean, I hope that there's lots of interesting pieces and whatever. You get a cool quote that you can show Uncle Ernie or whatever at, at Christmas time. Um, <laughs> but the, the most important part is actually toward the end. Uh, we tried to provide some other resources, places where you can connect with people, but uh, there's also a call to action about dropping the blockade against Cuba. And we're going to talk more about that, I think, in the coming weeks. It's hard to talk about Cuba without talking about the blockade. Um, but I think if, uh, if folks get anything out of this, um, at the end of the day, I think it's that Christians in the global north have a real responsibility to be advocating in any way that we can for the, uh, the dissolution of the blockade against Cuba. Um, if you need more background on it, Jim has talked to about it a bunch of times on past episodes. We're going to talk about it again soon. 
But the blockade effectively is keeping Cuba from developing in the way that it wants to. It is illegal. It's not right. It's very bad. It is violent. It costs lots of money. It costs people their health and so on. Um, and uh, Christians should say that's not good. So hopefully this uh, pamphlet gives you maybe a little bit more of a background on how to enter into thinking about Cuba. I guess that's the main purpose. And then at the end, it has this good uh, call to action. So whether it's writing a representative or maybe if you're not in the U.S., finding some way of getting involved in a Cuba solidarity organization or whatever, um, just finding some way to kind of raise that voice against a, a blockade like that. That's right, folks. All of it is in there and more. I mean, it's at least that much is definitely in there, though. Um, and you can get this great zine if you go to bit.ly slash cubazine. And uh, you can just download it right there. You don't have to give us any information. We don't care who you are. Uh, but all we want you to do is to help us end this awful blockade. And uh, by Christmas, we're going to get it. Probably not. But we won't stop trying. That's for sure. By next Christmas, we'll get it. <laughs> by next Christmas... Certainly, we will have gotten it. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can get that great zine at bit.ly slash cubazine, C-U-B-A-Z-I-N-E. You can support us on Patreon if you want at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. Uh, if you support us at two bucks or more, you can join a Discord server that we have. Lots of great conversations there. Uh, I imagine lots of good Cuba conversations coming up. Um and uh, it's a good community of folks, uh, great people to be sharing recipes with and talking about, I don't know, weird church gossip, whatever else. Uh, our music is by Amore Armstrong. Our outro is by <laughs> The Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next week. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I would have